0: This podcast uses adult language.
1: This is Kevin, and this is Elizabeth, and this is Lesson Eighty Three Podcasts. Uh, welcome back, Elizabeth. We're glad to be recording today with you. Yeah, you too. So uh, today, we wanted to talk a little bit about long-distance relationships, which is something you and I have experienced with uh, in the past. Uh, You and I are both currently in long-distance relationships. Yeah. Uh, And so we wanted to kind of talk a little about them. We're going to go through uh, what can help in a long-distance relationship, talk a little bit about love languages, and uh, some current concerns to maybe be aware of when you're wanting to enter into a long-distance relationship. I'm excited. After all this, we got an interview with one of my friends named Sarah who is a kink and poly-friendly therapist. Anyways, let's get started with uh, the long distance relationships discussion. Uh, Elizabeth, do you want to kick it off? Sure. So my experience with
0: long distance relationships has been on and off since I was a young teenager. Actually, the first time that I pursued ethical non-monogamy in any form was in high school. I had a long distance boyfriend and I really fell for this girl at my high school and, and I, you know, approached my boyfriend and I was like, what would you think if we dated other people as well? You know? And he was like, no, (laughs) but I tried (laughs) (laughs) anyway. And so, um, I feel like long distance relationships can be great with polyamory in a lot of ways. I think that monogamy can be more tricky with long distance, because especially if you're a physical touch type of person, which we're going to cover a little bit later with love languages. So yeah, uh, long distance can be great. Uh, Your relationship can totally thrive, but we're going to cover a little bit about some communication styles and how things like that might help.
1: I know for me, I probably wouldn't consider being in a long distance relationship if I wasn't polyamorous, because... For me, I really need those physical aspects of relationship whenever I can have it. And being stuck monogamously with somebody who is distant from me would be very, very difficult. Yeah, I feel the same way, actually. And so, you know, we may have talked about it before, maybe not yet, but I really love that polyamory can really give me more nuanced relationships where I can appreciate people for who they are, where they are, and not to have to have a laundry list of needs that have to be met by this one person uh, in my romantic life.
0: Yeah, I agree, I really like that. I like that um, polyamory is a choose your own adventure in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. I mean, any relationship is, but with polyamory there's more flexibility about what characteristics and hobbies you have in common with your partners because you don't have to match up in every way or change at the same rate in the same ways. I love that about polyamory.
1: And you had mentioned physical touch. That kind of touches on one of the things that we wanted to talk about in relation to long distance relationships, and that's love languages.
0: I'll, I'll just throw in there if you don't mind. Um, the love languages that we're talking about are the five love languages based on a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And just to run down them real briefly, they are basically ways that people sh- you know, show and receive the feeling and actions of love from their partners. And so words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, and I would argue giving gifts, um, quality time, and acts of service. Those are the five love languages. So what do you think about those, Kevin?
1: (laughs) I really felt connected to it when I first learned about it. And a lot of things kind of clicked into place when I had heard about it. I was like, ah, this is why... People have different expectations in their relationships because they want and need different things and they express their love by giving different things. Yeah. Uh, So we were going to kind of run through just briefly, you know, a little bit about what each of them are uh, before returning back to the main topic at hand. Uh, So let's start with the words of affirmation. I think that's a pretty common one, uh, especially for giving love languages for a lot of people is to want to express that uh, through. Kind words.
0: Absolutely. I tend to be one of those people who makes the incorrect assumption that my partner doesn't need reassurance that I love them. Um, and so then my partners are like their words of aff- affirmation people. And they're like, wait a minute, does she even love me? <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, well, surely they know that I love them, so I don't need to remind them. But there's a, that's an example of different love languages because mine are not words of affirmation as much so like one particular partner i'm thinking of definitely so i have to remember like oh the way that person receives love is through words of affirmation and i need to remind him that i love him even though he knows (laughs) you know and that i'm proud of him and that i you know that i like him and blah 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 blah, all those things so yeah there's a there's a difference right there but what about you with words of affirmation
1: i i Enjoy giving and receiving words of affirmation, uh, but at times, uh, words of affirmation, especially if I'm in a depressive episode or if I if I'm not feeling well, uh, then words of affirmation aren't as useful. And yeah. so, even for some people, what those needs are to understand love and to feel loved uh, can change. Uh, the next one on the list is uh, physical touch, which. You know, can express anything from a hug to sexual intimacy. You know, it's a whole wide range of different. Holding hands. Yeah, holding hands. Snuggling on the couch while you watch TV. That's all physical touch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's definitely a big one for me, which is. I think we touched on earlier why I probably wouldn't be monogamous in a long distance relationship. I don't I wouldn't be monogamous at all, I don't think. Yeah, definitely not long distance because I do love physical touch. It's definitely a big love language for me. And I like snuggling, you know, I don't even need all of my relationships to have a sexual element necessarily, but like I do want to be able to feel comfortable enough to touch their skin in some way. So, and I'm intimate with my friends in that way too. Like I hug and snuggle a lot of my friends. I tell them I love them, you know, it's, love languages can transcend, you know, different types of relationships. But anyway, so yeah, physical touch, that's a big one. And I'm glad we're bringing it up today with long distance relationships. Cause that's like the one big thing that can be missing yeah. from long distance. You can do almost everything else I would say, but physical touch is the tricky one. So how do you feel about physical touch? I bet you're a big physical touch person too.
1: I am. And, um, you know, we alluded to this earlier as well for me that physical touch is a, it's a big reason why I may not be able to have solely long distance relationships by choice. What are ways, I mean,
0: we're going to, we're going to get back to everything in a second, I think, but what are ways that you have found to work away, work around that uh, limitation in long distance relationships, do you think? Like, is there anything that kind of, not takes the place of, but like, I find that having like clothing items that smell like my partners is a nice like replacement sometimes if they're not around for physical touch, even though it's like an -hmm. an olfactory thing actually, but you know what I mean? Like something physical that I can touch that reminds me of them. So maybe that can help with long distance, that kind of thing.
1: You know, uh, For me, it's hard to tell because my only functional long-term relationship has been with somebody who I'm deeply committed to and committed to on an emotional and intellectual level. And, you know, if I had my way of the world, then her and I would not be separated, but that's not the the world we live in right now. And so I, I'd much rather have her as a long distance partner. I I would find it hard or difficult to imagine myself outside of this sort of scenario really being accepting or... Uh, being okay with having a long-distance relationship.
0: Yeah, I understand. But some people are just worth that extra effort, I feel Mm -hmm. like, because even if you don't get to see them all the time, it's nice to know that they care about you, even from afar. And anyway, maybe we should get to the next love language. What's the next one? Receiving gifts?
1: Yeah. Uh, So gifts, you know, a lot of people complain about materialism or... Uh, not wanting to commodify their relationships. But gifts don't have to be something purchased. They can be something made. They can be something created in the abstract. It could be a a voice recording or a voicemail. A gift can be a lot of different things. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with appreciating and enjoying giving or receiving gifts, as long as you're not demanding it of people who are financially unable to contribute what you want or are demanding of them. I find that with this one, there's a lot of crossover with the other love
0: languages for example, mm-hmm. acts of service and physical touch, because those are gifts to me. Like the, gift, the gifts of someone's time, yeah. the gifts of their energy, the gifts of, you know, physical intimacy in whatever way. Like those are gifts to me. So I guess gifts might be kind of a big one for me because I see a lot of the love languages as gifts. And I also, as like a kinkster, a lot of gifts for me involve like service or... <sighs> physically intense sensation um, that I delight in. So mm-hmm. gifts can be a lot of different things, in my opinion.
1: Uh, the next one is acts of service. Um. <laughs> and uh, what do you have to say about acts uh, of service?
0: I I think that's probably a big one for me, too. I should probably just take the test. So acts of service to me could be uh, setting up a date night, you know, like and then that becomes quality time. So again, crossover acts of service could be, Hey, I, you know, I picked up this item for you on the way to your house. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you wouldn't have to make that extra trip, you know, Mm -hmm. that's an act of service. Of course, in the kink sense, there are many ways to serve and be served, um, in a consensual way. So, uh, I employ a lot of that as well. I find that service and nurturing are kind of two sides Mm -hmm. of the same coin. A lot of like, sweet, toppity-top domily-doms are nurturing types, you know, even mean ones. And on the other end of that, the service can look very similar. So I think that acts of service is very flexible and can come in many different forms.
1: And, you know, to maybe put a finer point on it, acts of service can also be. Yeah. I went kind of abstract. <laughs> well, yeah. So to put a finer point on it, it could be something like hanging up a painting for you, ha- hanging up a painting, you know, doing the dishes there, there are, there are all sorts of things that you can do to help out your partner, you know, take someone to a medical appointment that they're concerned about, you know, just being there present. That could be Uh, an act of service in and of itself. Definitely. Or even giving them a massage, um,
0: which combines the elements of physical touch and I would say gifts because massage is like a very selfless act in many ways. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel. The last
1: one is uh, quality time. My favorite one. (laughs) Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So, so what do you have to say about quality time?
0: I'm very aggressively protective of my time. I, ty- I try to do a bit of time blocking, you know, and like uh, I-, I silence my phone when I'm not focused on answering all my texts or whatever. So I try- if I'm spending time with someone, I try to really focus on that and whatever that means for the two of us, you know, or the three of us or whatever. So quality time is probably the biggest one for me because if I'm not spending time communicating with you in some way and communing with you in some way, then I find it hard to maintain being grounded in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So quality time might actually
1: be my biggest one. Maybe physical touch is really close. I think as we've gone down the list, every single one has been your biggest one. Well,
0: I like them all. (laughs) You're right. You're
1: so right. I was like, this
0: is my favorite. Oh, I forgot about this one. This one's actually my favorite. Yeah,
1: no, you're right. Um, Quality time is very important. Uh, Something to put a polyam spin on this is that for a lot of people in ethical non-monogamy, they'll see, oh, well, I'm going to go spend just two hours with X partner and Y partner is really mad. And Y partner is the nesting partner who spends 99.9% of their time doing chores, doing the mundane parts of life and not spending quality time where you're doing something that's rewarding for both of you, or at the very least, one of you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, at the very least, hopefully at least one. (laughs) Definitely. Um, Yeah, I agree. So
1: (laughs) I I think we'll probably come back to love languages at some point in the future and put a little bit of uh, more examples out there for you and talk a little bit more in detail. But it felt uh, important in this discussion because love languages can be very different for long distance relationships.
0: Absolutely. I find that you have to be more explicit with your verbal affirmations with long distance. I have to be really clear and like, you know, if you're trying to be coy or like, confusing in some way with your texts or messages or emails or something, then that's just going to cause confusion in the relationship. And so yeah. um, they're not going to get immediately like your body posture and your tone and all of that, right? The context. So they're going to be more likely to be defensive. You're going to be more likely to be defensive and confused. So um, that's a tricky part I think for poly for a uh, long distance stuff and like Words of affirmation specifically, you got to be real specific, or at least that's how I feel. Um, and physical touch is the tricky one, I think. So, uh,
1: let's talk about visiting.
0: Uh, you've experienced that a little more than me in this scenario. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, uh, we we wanted to talk just generally about how to maintain a healthy long distance relationship and visitations whenever possible or practicable are you know, can be very important, especially to people like me who want to see their per- partner in person. It, For me, it very much feels different to see my partner in ver- person versus seeing them on a screen. I don't think that would come to a surprise to anybody. Uh, so scheduling those out, having them be something that you can look forward to, um, being realistic and understanding where people are and aren't able to Uh, participate with you in that sort of way in the relationship Uh, understand and make sure that you're both compatible with how often are you able to see each other and is that going to be enough
0: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah because some people are happy with once a month and some people are happy with like twice a year and some people are happy with like twice a week so or never or never
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, in addition to that uh and kind of similar is scheduling your time making sure that you have date night set up, whether that be normally occurring or irregularly occurring at some sort of specific interval. Uh, both of those are, uh, good things to have. And for me, make me feel a lot more comfortable in my long distance relationships.
0: I totally agree. I'm a big fan of the (laughs) check-in, uh, and the date night. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think that Quality time is high up there for me because I fiercely guard those times, you know, those hours when I get to spend with my partners, you know, one-on-one and that's what I need. So, uh, yeah, it's harder, you know long distance, but you can definitely have video chat times and some people watch movies together long distance or listen to music together long distance or play Mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons long distance or like me and my partner, you and your partner. Exactly. So yeah, it's, there are lots of ways to like spend time together on quote unquote date nights for even long distance. But you know, there is that physical touch missing.
1: Yeah. Uh, And uh, lastly, the last main thing we wanted to make sure to highlight was that uh, make sure that your expectations on technological communication are the same. Uh, So similar to how having the same expectations around how often you visit, having how often and what the protocol is to respond to messages. Uh, Yeah, I think you said that you, similar to me, have something with your partners where you say like, Text messages are responded to at my at the my earliest convenience, like when I'm able to. Uh, and I very much tell people that sometimes I get feedback like, "Oh, I'm sorry I didn't text you back." It's like, if I needed you, I would have sent you a string of text messages or called you or done something else. Yeah.
0: Um, I use a program called Audio Guru. It's just an app for adjusting the volume of your various notifications on your phone. And it's actually been a lifesaver for me in separating out my time and my date nights and my work life because can silence exactly the notifications that I want to be silenced and I can still have my ringer on. And so if there's an emergency, someone will call me. you know, And that makes me feel like I can focus on the person in front of me or the task at hand, and really this simple like adjustment to my s- phone notifications has made a big positive difference in my relationships. Counselors hate her for this one trick.
1: <laughs> Audio guru. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit uh, very quickly about the concerns that people might have entering into a long-distance relationship. Uh, the first one you had thought of was catfishing. And I hadn't even thought about that. The reason I thought about catfishing and
0: people not being genuine about who they are on the Internet or uh, in a long distance relationship is because I'm a pro dom, you know, of 10 plus years. And so I'm familiar with some of the people who. Use um, dynamics, especially long distance dynamics for money in some fashion, you know, and sometimes it's consensual, but a lot of the times it's not. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking for a romantic dynamic and this person lies about who they are, you know, in some way, then that can be damaging in several different fashions, emotionally and maybe even financially. So um, yeah, catfishing, I mean, it's not a big concern, honestly, like for as much as like other things might be, but I thought it was worth bringing up.
1: Yeah, Uh, you know, the person may not be who they say they are. The person may not be as uh, non-monogamous as they claim to be. And having a physical distance between you And your partner can make that easier for them to conceal. Very true.
0: Even without the element of catfishing, they could totally, you know, it's easier with distance to lie about who you are and what you're involved in, the context. So you could have a whole secret family in Oklahoma and we wouldn't even know necessarily, you know? So people do sometimes lie. And the thing I find liberating about polyamory is that it really takes the desire for me to be sneaky in any way like not that that's my natural state but like I I I like that I can be open and honest about who I'm seeing and what my time constraints are in a polyamorous dynamic you know
1: well uh that was a great discussion uh we'll probably come back to many of these topics again in the future on the next segment I'm going to be talking with my friend Sarah the kink and poly friendly counselor about concerns and uh, things that are useful information for you. Yeah, she's awesome. All right. Uh, welcome back to the lesson 83 podcast, uh, back with our special guest, uh, Sarah. Do you want to reintroduce yourself to people that might not have caught the last episode?
2: Okay. Uh, Sarah Charbonneau, and I am in private practice. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and primarily work with poly kinky people.
1: Awesome. So uh, last time we talked a little bit about how to utilize therapy, when to seek out a therapist, uh, What's it like to be out and uh, violations Mm -hmm. of trust? and a few other miscellaneous topics. So if you want to hear about those, uh, check out the last episode. They'll be there. But for this one, uh, we definitely want to start out by talking about, like, how do you find a poly-friendly therapist? Because not all therapists are poly-friendly.
2: Yeah, and a lot don't seem to very openly advertise as such. But it doesn't mean that people aren't open to or have experience or knowledge of working with poly people. It just seems like they don't think to, like, put it, like, broadcast it or put it on their directory of information or, you know, where you can find people. But I have told a lot of people and I'm on, um, a couple of different things like national coalition for sexual freedom is a great mm-hmm. source. And they have a huge directory of professionals that are poly knowledgeable, kink knowledgeable. Um, so I usually,
1: yeah. And that spans like therapists, mm-hmm. psychologists all the way up to like lawyers or yeah. doctors. Yeah,
2: definitely. Which is an, it's just such an awesome resource because a lot of people don't feel so open to just going to anyone because you're not sure if they're go- if you're going to be judged or if you're going to be influenced in some way that doesn't feel authentic to why you're coming in. Uh, So that's a place I tend to tell people to go a lot. But there's Mm -hmm. also a couple other good poly-friendly resource directories that I found for therapists online that I tend to point people to. Sometimes on Psychology Today, you can search poly as a keyword and some people come up, but it's often very
1: few. Gotcha. And... To kind of expand on why people might want a poly-friendly therapist, I know experiences I've heard people going to the therapist and spending the first eight or nine sessions explaining ethical non-monogamy and why it's okay mm-hmm. or why it's a good choice for them. Yep. Instead of focusing on other things that they want to focus on in therapy, they're having to educate their uh, therapist. Do you want to expand on that at all? Or
2: Sure. Yeah, that's That is a common complaint and kind of my worst nightmare. You know, I, I joke with clients that I make it my lot in life to make sure I'm at least keeping up if not one step ahead. And so that they can spend their time using it for what they really need to be there for. Mm -hmm. You know, the last thing they need to be doing is using their time that they're paying me for (laughs) to educate me on things that They just shouldn't have to do that. It's exhausting. So just terminology, right? And different relationship structures and dynamics. These things are really important for therapists to know if they're going to work with poly people. Word of mouth, I think, you know, it depends on obviously where people live, but yeah, poly communities are usually most, I guess, well, there's some poly people that don't, they're not connected to other poly people in a community, but oftentimes there are connections. And I think that's how a lot of people end up hearing about me is just through word of mouth within the
1: community. This is your friendly reminder to check out your local community. And if it's full of people who make you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. make your own yeah. make your it's own band advice. of weirdos. That's what I did. And <laughs> look where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I think that's all great. Uh, so we also wanted to try to talk a little bit about uh, mental health or how relationships might have a positive benefit to your mental health. So what do you you want to say on that?
2: Oh, gosh, there's so much. Well, I mean, first and foremost, that connection is everything, right? I mean, if, you know, we really strip down most things about humanity. I mean, it's about connection. So the more connected we are to our people, the better we usually feel. Um, So when we don't have good connection or we feel very, we're very isolated, uh, it often is... Neg- you know, it has a negative impact on our mental health. So that in general, I think, you know, everyone needs to feel like they belong or are loved and seen and deserving. Mm-hmm. And I think relationships are a really good source of helping us feel that way. So I think that's probably, you know, the biggest thing that I think is good for our mental health to feel connected to other people and have meaningful relationships,
1: whether it be intimate, romantic, sexual... Friends are a type of relationship, family are a type of relationship, relationship comes in all stripes, but, uh, you know, especially romantic relationships, I know for me are highly valuable. So I've always considered, you know, humans to be a very social creature. And so like, I've always found a lot of benefit to my social circles. Uh, one of the commonly heard pieces of advice that I hear, uh, talked about is, you know, make sure you're in a good place before you start relationships. Do you have uh, specific thoughts or feelings about that?
2: <sighs> what does good place mean? You know? Yeah. Why I want to poke at that and be like, what does that exactly mean? You know? Cause are we in a good place with our job? Are we in a good place with ourselves? Are we in a good place? You know, <laughs> where we live? Like what is, yeah, of course that's what I want to do is like dissect. What does good place mean? Yeah. Now, is it true that, I mean, if we're really in, a, in bad shape, right, we're maybe having trauma responses to things, or if we're really in a dark place, we're not stable with our moods or have good coping skills, then sure, that might not be a good place, right? It's such a hard question to answer, you know? I generally think that, I do believe, I mean, I think that we need to have at least a decent sense of self-worth or feeling of worthiness, um, in order to, I think, have the best shot at good intimate relationships and romantic relationships, because I, I see a lot of people end up making choices or sacrifices in a way that Mm -hmm. does not reinforce good self-worth in relationships by not communicating what they need or want or how they really feel because they don't feel like they can, or they should, or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can come up.
1: Are you a fan of Dan Savage at all? The advice columnist.
2: Most, yeah, mostly.
1: I I am probably in a similar boat to you that it's like not everything he says I can agree with, but uh, yeah. he he's got a turn of phrase of like being in good working order. Yes, being able to do the basics for yourself, being able to care for yourself and advocate for yourself, I feel like is the the key aspects that you really need to be able to make sure you can do. But yeah, I think you had a good. A few good add-ons to that, list I'll probably be adding when talking about this in the future. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I I like that uh, phrase too, and I do agree with it. Because, you know, I've known people to where if they have a hard time even just being by themselves or with themselves, and they are always seeking to be with someone else in order to not have to be with themselves, that's, you know, other people, external things can't be everything,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there needs to be a certain amount of self-actualization right things that where you appreciate your own life
2: right or enjoy your own company a little bit
1: yeah <laughs> uh so what other kind of like uh ways to our relationships uh help provide good mental health support or do you feel like you want to talk more about uh some of the negative effects of relationships can have when they're not going as well as they should
2: we could do both but i, ha- I have one i have a couple okay. more things i could say about positive like you know, benefits in how it can help our mental health is I think partners often help us like mirror things back to us sometimes, you know, I know I've been challenged by partners in really positive ways, even though it was a real bitch simultaneously, you know, but like I, it was something I needed to Mm -hmm. see or hear or be, or be pushed on Mm -hmm. that was actually good for me, you know, or, healthy for me and yeah. helped me improve myself in some way so I think sometimes our partners can help mirror things back to us that we don't always see we can get into our own grooves and habits real quick you know
1: and one of the things that I've always said I've appreciated about Polly is it really helped provide a foil to myself and it's very easy to dismiss one partner oh yeah telling you that you should change something in your life when you got two or three people saying, No, this is a problem. You should fix it. Right. Oh, it's not that just that one person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Common
2: denominator. (laughs) Right. You're like, oh, if you're hearing the same thing from multiple sources, chances are you need to look at that. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's really true. And we don't we don't see that within ourselves when we're just in our own hanging out with ourselves, you know, like but other people can be Mm -hmm. really good at putting the mirror up. And helping us look at ourselves differently, which is good. We all need that.
1: I mean, like the flip side of that is sometimes people can challenge you in ways that are unhealthy or not reflective of reality and warp your sense of reality. That could be definitely a negative. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Detrimental to mental health would definitely be those. I mean, the most obvious extreme is like more toxic relationships or communication issues where we are, yeah, we're told that we're crazy for thinking the way we do or feeling the way we feel or having a need, having a request and also stigma. You know, when it comes to mental health, if someone's struggling, if they're having depression or anxiety and you have a partner who says kind of like, what's the big deal, right? Like just, just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Why are you so upset? You know, that invalidation that can happen even with the best intentions, which I think most invalidation can be well intended, you know, and we're trying to fix somebody else's feelings or problems and trying to help problem solve when really our partner, you know, we just want to be heard. We want to be maybe comforted but we're receiving invalidation that can be really painful and it can cause more sadness, more is- feeling of disconnection or isolation, even if our partner's right next to us.
1: Yeah. You know, and it can cause you question whether the feelings you're having, like you were saying invalidating, but it can make you feel like maybe those emotions are coming from nowhere, but yourself instead of being a real response to a stimulus, which, you know, if your partner doesn't truly understand where you're coming from might be part of the problem. Right.
2: Yeah. And being, feeling judged, I think, is another, you know, some people, oh, this has come up a lot, actually, mm-hmm. where there might be some acceptance or, you know, embracing of maybe a partner or a few partners like have... Take medication, for instance, which is, you know, valid. Many tons of people take medication. But say you're having a particularly, like, a slump of a day. Like, maybe you're having more sadness or feeling more withdrawn. And your partner says to you, like, well, did you take your medication today? That can be a shitty thing, you know, to hear. It it gets double-edged, right? Like, it can be a, a helpful prompt, but it can also feel, like, I've had people tell me that they feel very... Misunderstood, or, or like it's oversimplified, or that like medicine is the make or break of this whole part, this whole person. Mm. That like what I'm not just entitled to just have emotions, like it has to be about my yeah. medicine, or because I'm struggling with it, it must be that I'm not taking my medicine and then it causes trust yeah. issues. So there's, yeah, I've seen a lot of that too, where it's just feeling judged or having emotional feelings or experiences be oversimplified.
1: Yeah. It's, I feel very lucky in a strange way that I was born with a mood disorder because it has allowed me to realize that a lot of my and other people's responses to issues are very colored by our mood. I can go through the same experience one day or another and uh, feel them very mm-hmm. differently and experience them very differently depending on the mood I'm in. And it's, it is it yeah, is just astounding to me that other people don't ever get that sort of clear, oh, hey, I'm having a manic day. I'm having a depressive day. Oh, oh that's that's the difference between these two experiences. Mm-hmm. Like when I look back on it a few days later, it' mind boggling to me that uh, it's a more unique circumstance mm-hmm uh than the general uh population probably experiences
2: yeah and not necessarily a bad thing right it's you know i do think there's yeah i just unfortunately when it comes to mental health or mental health issues there's still so much stigma you know that i wish would be lifted because the bottom line is we're all like the weather you know, that's the way I, it was the analogy I use. I'm like, we're all like the weather. It's not clear skies all the time. I don't care who you are. You know, we have days and times in which it yeah. is
1: is—it is foggy and cloudy up there or it's dreary and we don't see any rays of sun at all. I feel like I want to take that analogy too far and be like, well, some people are Seattle and some people are Arizona.
2: <laughs> true, true. But even Arizona has monsoons. Exactly.
1: <laughs> And from what I heard from my friends who live in Seattle, about two weeks out of the year, they get sunshine. It's great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're almost like polar opposites, right? Arizona and Seattle. Uh,
1: So anything else that you feel like uh, you'd like to add in uh, before we uh, end this segment today? Any big takeaways you feel like people uh, should really take away from uh, that that you can really provide?
2: Yeah. um, It's my... It's my soapbox I always go on when we're talking about these things. There we go. Especially, go well, it. and it's not mine. It's shared with people who are very well-known, like Brene Brown. Um, and But when we're talking about relationships and connection, right, and, and intimacy, we have to be willing to be vulnerable, right? So like if we have we have our emotions, we're struggling with our emotions. If our weather is not good, it's like we have to be willing to let it be known. You know, so many of us, I think, tend to kind of, retract within ourselves and not want to be seen or not want to let other people know how we're doing. But we have to, in order to have better relationships, have, uh, the ability to get support and have better connections with people around us, we have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I'm not okay right now. Like I need some help or can I get a hug or I need some reassurance,
1: you know? asking can be a a big deal and can be uh, very helpful to your partners to understand what you need. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today.
2: Yeah. Thanks. You too.
0: You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes.
1: This episode was edited by Jordan Davis. Music is by anti Lude, and logo designed by Carmen Bolden.